It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the updates on the great writers we have coming up over the next few weeks. And if you want to see photos of the studio and the cocktails getting made, check out my Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please leave a comment. I want to hear about the writers you want to hear on this show. I've been getting a lot of great booking ideas from you guys. Welcome to Dedicated with Doug Brunt. You have just gained access to an exclusive insider's look at the lives and works of some of your favorite authors and hear conversations with the world's greatest writers as they discuss their writing lifestyle, creative process, latest work, and behind-the-scenes revelations. Welcome to Dedicated. I'm your host, Doug Brunt. Today, we're talking with number one New York Times bestselling author, Joe Nespo. He's worked as a stockbroker, a journalist. He's been lead singer of a popular band that's recorded four albums. He's played Premier League soccer. And the main reason he's here, he's sold more than 50 million books worldwide, making him the most successful Norwegian author ever and one of the most successful authors, period. Joe, it's great to have you here. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Well, I know you're you're on the whirlwind tour. You've got a few more uh, stops uh, along the way in the states before you head home. So, what better way to uh, relax a bit and and settle down than come in here for a whiskey sour? Yeah. So I'm going to get started making those, and I'm actually going to make three today because we have a special guest star. Abby Endler is here, and uh, so listeners know. Most authors don't even go on a book tour. They may maybe make a couple of regional stops around their high school or something and then hit Facebook and Instagram. If you sell a lot of books, your publisher will send you around to a few events. Mm-hmm. And if you sell a ton of books like Joe, you might be accompanied by a, uh, a superstar publicist like Abby from Knopf. And if you sell even more, you will be invited to podcast like this and having the host make a drink for you i, I i'm gonna watch you carefully now but because i have no idea how you make uh, whiskey sour well i have an idea but i i wouldn't be able to do it myself well okay, i uh, okay big ice cubes yeah, we're going with the, the big cubes for the glass and we've got smaller for the mixing and the shaker and then we'll get the cherry in here um, I, I don't think my last whiskey sour, I don't think that had cherry. No cherry, just the orange? Um, it had the egg white and I think lemon. Egg white, we've got lemon. Egg white, you say? Yeah. Okay, I did not do egg white. I was going to go simple syrup. Okay. Um, lemon, lots of bourbon. Okay. Orange and a cherry. Okay. But you were just saying that you uh, you have some bartending experience before we uh, got started here. Yeah, uh, some experience. Um, I've been a bad bartender and a bad taxi driver. <laughs> uh, 
I've been at sea. I was bad at that too. Um, so, you know, um, I've had some experience with, with failure in some professions, at least. Were, were you driving a taxi in Oslo? I was, yeah, um, or mostly in Molde, my hometown. Um, when I was a student, I, I worked as a taxi driver there to, to make some money. And I, uh, I'm really, I don't know why, but I'm, I'm bad at driving cars. <laughs> I, no idea why. My, my brothers, they are really good drivers, but, but uh, like my, my band, when we started to, to tour in a car, uh, just the five of us, they would never let me drive the car. I told him, you know, I've, I've been working out as a taxi driver. I've been doing this for a living. Right, why won't you? Why won't you let me drive the car? Well, it's simply it's not safe. Does it? So. All right, the oranges are going in. Cocktail shakers complete. Now we pour. I'll try and do three oh. fairly even ones here. I'll see how this goes. I don't want to. You know, it's it's not that late in the day. I don't want to floor us. <laughs> All right, that might that might do it. The ice cubes are so big. It's actually affecting the cocktail here a little bit. I might have over-iced us, Joe. Yeah, it looks, looks right, good. hand deliver to Abby. Yeah. There we are. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Abby. Cheers. Cheers, Abby. <laughs> that ice cube makes it a little bit hard to drink. Oh, that's good. Great. So you were, I've been reading up on you before you came in. You were born in Oslo, and I read your mom was a librarian. Yeah. Was at uh, I was at some event once, and I think it was Jonathan Lethem was saying that he, when he was young, his his job was working in a used bookstore, and he said that was the greatest experience, the greatest training to become a writer. Mm. Was it? Did a lot of this uh, begin with your sort of home life with your mom in the in the library? Yeah, well, um, I think partly. Um, would, sometimes we would I would go directly from school to the library. Mm-hmm. And, and and sit there and wait for my mother to to, uh, to finish work, and then I would, you know, just wander around and pick books. Um, but then again, we had uh, we had books at home too. My 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 father was a keen book reader, so um, so I would pick books there there too. Actually, one of the first books I I, I picked was um, Lord of the Flies, uh, William Golding. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because I liked the, the cover of the book, it was a pig's head on a stake. Yeah. And uh, my my father always used to refer to uh, to uh, to the time when he when I persuaded him to to read the book to me, and according to him, and he he's not a very reliable person, but uh, he would claim that I that afterwards when he asked me what I thought about the book. I uh, I said that uh, this William Golding guy is uh, he's got the talent, but uh, he didn't really succeed with this book. Maybe he'll do better on his <laughs> next attempt. <laughs> it's funny. Someone on the show just raised that book as the book that made them become an adult reader. Mm. Because when you're reading children's book, the parents always come back, and things are always sort of resolved. And that was the first book he read where the parents didn't come back, and it was sort mm. of a you know a very scary, traumatic book. And I, I also read that you as a as a child moved. And that influenced sort of your social setting, and you spent more time alone. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was. Um, I mean, I was a typical guy that didn't see any point in hanging out 
just for uh, socializing. Mm-hmm. We needed to do things. So, so I would, uh, you know, uh, as long as we could play soccer or uh, play in the band or do something, but just hang around people to talk, I, I found that really boring. Mm-hmm. So I would instead spend time alone. And uh, when I was a young kid, I, I, I would be the kind of kid that always wanted to decide how to play. I, I, and I was like, you know, either we do it my way or I'll do it on my own. Mm-hmm. It's my rules or alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that respect, I guess I wasn't a very likable guy. <laughs> <laughs> but you've grown out of that. Hopefully. Yeah. A little bit at least. Well, I've noticed uh, Oslo, I've read a few of your books now. Oslo and parts of Norway are the frequent setting for your books. And it's it's as though they're sort of like a recurring character mm. in the books for you. Do you think of it that way? Yeah. I think that um, we moved from, from Oslo um, to the to a little town called Molde, where my grandparents lived mm-hmm. uh, when I was quite young. So I always longed back to, to Oslo and my friends in Oslo. Um, so I guess in a way I had this romantic relationship to, to Oslo. So when I moved back and I started writing the Harry Hold series, um, in the first two books, actually, he's not in Oslo, but from the third book, he's in Oslo. And that, from then on, Oslo becomes this this character. This um, and, and it's, I'd say it's 90% the real Oslo. Then it's, I have um, romanticized uh, the city a little bit. And um, Has your view of it changed, like the character changed? Because before we got started here, we we're just talking about New York, which is mm. on, on a beautiful day in New York. You, mm. You've been writing for decades now, and so... New York has certainly changed a lot in 20 years. If I were writing it and if it were a character in the books, it would be a different city 20 years yeah. ago than it is today. So has it evolved a bit in your books? I um, I think so, because Oslo has changed so much over the last uh, 20, 30 years. Um, and also when writing about the city and it becomes sort of a fictionalized city, uh, it changes a little bit in your mind, maybe. Just like mm-hmm. New York has a Gotham City version to it. Then uh, Oslo has this, in my mind, this uh, Harry Hole version of Oslo, which is ninety percent the real Oslo, but the last ten percent is uh, is like this dark side of Oslo, like um, distant land after dark. Yeah. yeah. So you've mentioned Harry. It's spelled H O L E. So I think uh, you know an American would pronounce it Harry Hole, but it's yeah. Hula, right? Yes, exactly. Harry Hula. Hula. You've written children's book series and other standalone novels, but you're mainly known for the Inspector Harry Hula books, who is an inspector with a special expertise in solving serial killer books. So if, for listeners who have not uh, come to know Joe Nesbo's books yet, and I, there is a lot of violence and even sexual violence. I've also found some great humor in it, though. It almost there's a clever wit that reminds me a little bit of Nelson DeMille in some ways. You're a little more grisly and violent than Nelson's books, but there is a clever humor in there as well. Mm. I think that when you, I mean, some call it comic relief. I don't see it as relief. I always think that when you, when you kind of push the envelope when it comes to violence, um, the humor is there just around the corner. It's mm. unavoidable. It's. Uh, it's uh, you're at the brink of writing farce, so you you, you have to sort of uh, it becomes even more comic if you don't use the humor that is there in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that uh, and, and it's true to life. I think 
cops yeah. and soldiers. You know, it's that gallows humor that's yeah. always a part of that close to death, terrifying thing. There's always a level of humor there. I think that so, in the tradition of the crime fiction, uh, violence is an important ingredient. And there is a sort of a ballet of uh, violence. And in that dance, I think that humor is just uh, an element that is that is uh, very effectful in the, in the, in that mix. Well, your humor comes across even in translation. And I did a little bit of looking up some statistics on language here, and I discovered that there are only 5.3 million people that speak Norwegian in the world. Mm. And here in the States, by contrast, in the Philadelphia metro area alone, there are 6.2 million people. So there are more people in Philly than all of Norway. I didn't know that. So nobody's getting rich <laughs> selling books only in Norwegian. You, you, uh, I imagine selecting the translator is, is that, is that a big decision for you or, or? Um, yeah, yes, it is. Um, especially, um, your English translator, because, um, other languages for example um, if you are going to be translated to korean it's really hard to find a good translator who works in norwegian and korean mm -hmm. so uh, they will uh, usually use the english translation so it's uh, so it's really important so mm -hmm. um, i think we've been lucky with our translators yeah i noticed I, i've got the snowman here which was fantastic and killing moon is your latest and i noticed different mm -hmm. translators for these mm -hmm. two books so that's a uh, you know, you're not married to one for the whole no. time. No. I'm curious about the languages in Norway because we we took our kids uh, to Amsterdam last year. Mm -hmm. And what I learned when I got there is everyone speaks English. It's baked into the school curriculum. A hundred percent of people learn Dutch and mm -hmm. English in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And so as an American traveling, it's as easy to travel around there as London. You, mm -hmm. can, you can talk to anyone. What's it like in Norway? Yeah, I think it's more or less the same. I mean, uh, it's also my experience that uh, Dutch people they, are, they 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 speak English, all of them, and and, and really well. And I think it's more or less the same in the, uh, most Scandinavian countries. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, um, I mean, it's part of. I mean, I can tell my daughter she's um, she speaks more fluently English uh, when she was ten years old than than I ever done. Do you when you write songs? Do you write lyrics in English or Norwegian? I write them in uh, in Norwegian. Mm -hmm. uh, it was sort of the the uh, the whole idea by, behind the band was uh, was Norwegian lyrics, storytelling Norwegian lyrics. Well, your books have a feel. When you're inside a Joe Nespo book, you can feel there's that sort of consistent uh, tone to it. So I wanted to ask you a bit about your process. And one of the things that I have loved about the books is there are incredible twists and huge reveals, and you don't just drop the killer in by parachute on page 400 out of nowhere in some cheap ending like there are breadcrumbs along the way and you may not detect mm -hmm. all of them as you're reading through but then when you get to the end and you look back it's all there it all falls into place and and makes some sense and it's complex so i was wondering i know you do a fair amount of prep work before you write your books but do you have this organized design all ahead of time of where the big reveals will be or does a lot of that come to you as you work through the first draft um no i i actually work probably as much with my uh, preparations with the uh, synopsis for the story as um, actually writing the novel so uh, when I sit down and I write chapter one um, I probably already have between 50 and 100 pages of synopsis with bits of of dialogue to um, to get to know my characters so um, I think it gives me 
sort of a the right confidence uh, that I know the story. I don't have a feeling that I'm making up a story, but I the feeling that I'm retelling a story so mm-hmm. I can sort of, you know, tell my readers come sit closer because I, I have this great story to tell you and I know exactly where we're going and I've told it before. So I uh, I know all the twists and turns. Uh, so so just relax and trust me. How how much does it change between what you've designed up front by the time you work through the end of the first draft? Uh, the actual novel may may deviate quite a lot, but I find that it's better to to uh, to have a plan than to mm-hmm. not have a plan. But I'm uh, if I find that something doesn't work, for example, it may happen that um, there's a certain uh, logic or gravity to a character that makes um, makes uh, uh, certain events implausible so uh so i will have to change it um and sometimes what seemed like a good idea when you wrote the synopsis doesn't seem like a good good idea any longer uh, so i will i will change things but uh basically uh the plot will be the same mm-hmm. it's not like i'm going to change the murderer is going to be one that i plan it to be who did it how he did yeah. it that generally is uh is pretty locked so there is sounds like there's an outline. Is it a chapter by chapter outline? Yeah. Or okay. I'd say so. It's 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 pretty detailed. And then, is there a favorite place to write, or could you write anywhere in a cafe? I can I can write anywhere. It was um, uh, many years ago. I I bought this beautiful apartment in in Oslo, um, uh, and in the attic there was a big room with a great view of the city, and I got hold of this great desk that I had to uh, they had to use a crane to get it into the attic and it was I had my my computer big screen uh, computer my coffee machine my favorite music and um, it is the only place in the world where I simply cannot write it's uh, it's too beautiful. It's too distracting. It's, um, I don't know what it is. It's, it's too much pressure, I guess. It's mm. uh, so I went up there every morning with my laptop. I looked at the desk, and then I walked off to the local coffee shop where I, where I had to fight for my favorite table and to sit there and write. And that that works. I, I've tried that before. Just a little white noise is good. If there's a specific yeah. conversation, you know, that can be very distracting when you start listening word for word. But mm. if it's just dull white noise, that actually can exactly. work. Yeah. Uh, how about you're you're not only a, a lover of music, you're a musician. Do you ever have music playing in the background while you write? I used to, like when I went to um, coffee shops, and I'm I I love to write in airports. Mm. Um, I would listen to music to to shut out the conversations um, slightly. Uh, but uh, after COVID, um, things changed because then I had to work at home. And I sort of got used to the silence of uh, of that, um, of being alone in the, at home. Um, I still couldn't write at that big desk, but I could write in the room, but sitting at a smaller table facing the wall. This, this dusty old desk, like a neglected exactly. Cinderella over there. Yeah. Um, how about what you read when you're in that phase of writing the first draft? Do you do you stay away from other detective novels, or mm. did you read anything? Um, not really, because I, um, I guess writing my first couple of novels, I, I stayed away from from reading. Uh, but now I'm more or less reading or writing all the time, and I love to read. So I now I don't. I'm not sure whether I'm uh, influenced by what I read. Probably, I mean, probably I am. I mean, you're influenced by by anything. I'm. I'm probably influenced by this conversation when I get back this evening and I'm going to write something. You'll be in there. 
somehow. Um, Be kind. Yeah. Um, what about your your training as a journalist? How has that played a role? Do you think? Because I've noticed there's so much research in your books. You're, the, the Inspector Harry Hula is almost encyclopedic in certain categories of investigation. He knows a ton about forensics or the history of cell phone towers and how that can play into an investigation. Mm. Is your journalism background, do you think, um, played a role? Yeah, well, um, I'm, I wasn't really a journalist. You know, uh, serious journalists wouldn't have called me a journalist. Um, I, I did some for a while. Uh, when I quit being a stockbroker and I um, you know, took the chance on, on writing. I, I did some freelance uh, journalistic work. Um, but um, just like I was a bad taxi driver and a, and a bartender, I was a bad journalist, I guess. I, uh, but, but I did some interesting interviews with people. That is what I did uh, mainly. But mm-hmm. I had to do research for that. But um, I don't... I don't know whether it I, it taught me anything about writing crime fiction. Um, I just love that that part of the job to do the research, uh, you know. To um, and often I I do uh, way too much research. Um, at least it it is not useful for my writing. It's just that I'm curious and I mm-hmm. want to know. On the other hand, um, as a journalist, you can you can probably tell that your writing. Even though you don't need all the research, it's not you don't you are not going to put it on paper. But if it's there in the back of your head, it will influence your writing. That mm-hmm. you have that confidence, and I think people who read it also they they can tell if you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, then again, I'm quite good at pretending I know more about stuff than I know. <laughs> so, last quick question on uh, on process: Are you a coffee drinker when you write? I am definitely. Yes. So you're writing in the mornings, coffee. Would you ever have a glass of wine or a whiskey sour when you write? No, um, I tried that um, early on, um, and it um, no, it didn't work for me. Uh, coffee. Well, only one writer who's come on the show out of about thirty plus now, I, I think, said they will have a drink when they when okay. they write from time to time. Everyone else yeah. is coffee or tea. Yeah, and they're chugging it basically, like you know, five six coffees yeah. a day. Same here. So speaking of, of uh, alcohol and coffee and things, Harry is uh, is struggling with his alcoholism, I guess, your, mm. your, your detective, your main character. And I was fascinated to read that he's developed a sort of quota system for his drinking to sort of manage it. So yeah. sometimes he's functioning, sometimes he's not functioning so well. Yeah. But he's certainly battling with demons. And you write that so well, just the, the sort of mental internal anguish that he's facing around liquor. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that it's um, it's been interesting because um, I mean I've I've been in the music business for uh, for uh, most of my life, so um, I've seen alcoholism up up close, um, and I I do know a thing or two about um, uh, dependency, uh, and um, I think that um, when you write about alcoholism, it's it's easy to try to be clever. And uh, right, you know, uh, try to say something smart or wise about alcoholism in 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 general. Um, but what I've been doing with Harry is that I'm writing about this guy who happened to have a problem with alcoholism, and it's um, it's his way of dealing with it, mm-hmm. and it's uh, um, his way of. You know, falling down and getting up on his feet again, 
drinking and not drinking. And so I was a bit surprised when people who had struggled with alcoholism um, came to me and said that, um, are you struggling with alcoholism? Is, are your parents uh, alcoholics? Because you seem to know a lot about this. And I said, I, I, I'm really... I really don't. I don't think I know any, anything more about this than most people, but I, I'm using my imagination and I'm, I'm, writing about the char- I'm writing about a character, not about alcoholism as such. Mm-hmm. Well, you do seem to write with an authority that comes through on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, it can take you there in a, in a sense for people who are familiar with it. It seems as though you know what you're what you're talking about here. Maybe it is through the the music and and sort of mm-hmm. having been up close and had that front row seat to it. But um, the quota system, I think, will be only sporadically successful. Yeah. But it, it's interesting that you say you're writing about just that. You know, the character. You're not taking on alcoholism as a theme, but it's it's a part of your character. And the character is for listeners who have not yet read. You you need to because the character is a very talented inspector, but he's much more. He's different from many of the characters you see in this type of book. He's not a Jack Reacher who can go into the mm-hmm. bar and beat up. He's he's Harry Hula is a tough guy who can take care of himself for sure, but he's not Reacher who beats up five guys in a bar. He's much mm-hmm. more human than superhuman mm-hmm. and uh, vulnerable to things like the alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of very well-rounded, I think, in that sense. I think that when you, I mean, story writing is about conflicts. And um, I think that most interesting characters they are conflicted they have these moral dilemmas um that is why for example uh the modern batman is is an interesting character mm-hmm. while superman is a really boring superhero um i mean it would be w- without um uh without the kryptonite he would be r- really boring i mean he's <laughs> right, he's, right. he's he's, he's even boring with the kryptonite zero, zero flaws so yeah yeah so yeah. so i um, I think that you used to have that. Um, you need to have that character with an inner conflict, which uh, which is the case with uh, with Harry, mm-hmm. um, and is is I, I guess the kind of character that you that you like. You can like him or or dislike him, uh, but he's easy to relate to. I think as a as as a person, he's the. Um, I try to put the readers in Harry's shoes. And in order to do that, you can't really have a superhero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so it's like classic uh, saying, loved, hated, but never ignored. Mm. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In doing some prep for our talk today, I watched a couple videos of your old interviews. Mm. And I found one where you made a point that I think is true. And I wanted to ask you more about it. You were saying in this interview that all writing has political views. Mm. And and that can show up maybe just in the descriptions of how you talk about a city or the things you choose to emphasize or not emphasize. But while all writing has political views, it should not have a political agenda. Mm. And I was wondering if you could talk about that distinction and, and why it's important. I think that um, it's, it's probably even more uh, interesting now than um, when I did that interview. Um, I think that in a world um, where political views right now are so polarized um, that um, as soon as you as you show your political colors. Um, people will choose to listen to what you have have to say or not. Uh, and what I've been doing in the Harry Hole series and in all my writing, actually, is to not, you know, make clear where I stand politically in order to just to... Um, to, to keep the attention of my, my, my readers. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, my aim is to, to entertain and to say something maybe that I think is true, to write a sentence or two that is actually something that is that is true. But I can't point to a specific political agenda. You have other uh, Scandinavian writers like Stieg Larsson. Um, you have the uh, godparents of uh, Scandinoir, Sjöval and Valle. Those were um, writers with a clear uh, political agenda. I don't have that, but it doesn't mean I'm not political. I'm, uh, like I said, it's. I think it's impossible not to be political. Uh, you are, you are even being political if you decide not to be political. That right. is sort of a political stance. <laughs> That's very also. revealing. Yeah, <laughs> but it's true. I noticed that, and of course, some of the classic examples of this are rock musicians, so of which you are also that. But if uh, they get up on stage and you're live, I mean, it's one thing to do it in a book where people can just put it down or something. But you've bought tickets to go to some concert and you sit there and then. Suddenly, it, it's another thing. You know, they're they're making a, a political statement. Half the people are just standing there, like, "Oh my gosh, I want to leave right now," or yeah. "I want to cheer," or uh, there's an injection of of politics a lot of times um, in art. And uh, I don't know. I, I go back and forth. I mean, sometimes if people feel very strongly about it, it's their art, it's their platform. They can do what they want, of course, if mm-hmm. they feel like that's very important. But as a consumer of art, you don't always want that. Mm-hmm. 
No, I think that the way I want to write about politics is maybe what I did in uh, in the Red Breast. I, I mean, I I grew up in a family where my um, during World War Two, my my mother's side of the family, uh, they were in the resistance movement, and uh, my my father uh, in 1940 he volunteered to. It was 19, and Norway was occupied by the Germans in 1940, and my father he grew up here in New York in Brooklyn. Uh, Bay Ridge area with my grandparents, and when they moved back to uh, to Norway, they were uh, very anti-communist. So they were more afraid of Stalin than of uh, the Germans, and uh, so he volunteered to fight with the Germans um, uh, against the Russians. So I grew up in a family where you had these very different um, uh, uh, experiences during the wartime, and. I grew up with discussion of, at that time, who felt that they were right and why, Mm -hmm. and in hindsight, who were wrong and why, and having that discussion back and forth. And to me, um, you know, having my my father, a person that I really admire so much, to imagine him with a German helmet. That was, for me, because I didn't know he he had been uh, fighting with the Germans Mm -hmm. until I was 15 years old. It was... um, uh, you know, the German helmet for me being the essence of evil mm-hmm. and just imagining my father with a helmet, it was really tough and I had to sit down my father and talk to him about the choice he made during World War II and what he knew, what was going on, what he didn't know, uh, back and forth. But I think it it was really um, something that really influenced me as a, as a writer and writing about politics and trying to write about any cho- political choice that an individual have made uh, and try to write it from his or hers point of view and to uh, not necessarily agree with them, uh, but to to show their viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to, um, um, and I think I've, I've done that in the Harry Hole series. You will always have the viewpoints of the bad guys presented in a way where you as a reader can choose to agree with that or or not mm-hmm. you uh, it will not only be the good guys having the good arguments mm-hmm. which is important it's so so hard to figure out who are the good guys and bad guys we can't do it in the newspapers today you know there are two mm-hmm. sides to everything we don't know who's good and bad today let alone going back 100 years ago and trying to sort out you know history i, I just read some world war 1 history book that was much more sympathetic to the German side mm-hmm. of how World War One, because you know, with the Treaty of Versailles, mm-hmm. it was basically it's all Germany's fault. Was yeah. was basically what the treaty said. But this had a, a lot of information around what was going on in the Balkans that I didn't know about. It was a much more sympathetic view of things. Much more, you know. So it was interesting to read multiple perspectives of all that. Mm-hmm. And and I was actually just reminded by another history book that World War Two kind of got going with. Hitler and Stalin as allies. They were going to sort of divvy yeah. up a lot of things, and then oh, yeah. Hitler decided, wait, we're not allies. I'm going to go invade you now, too. Yeah. So uh, that would have been an interesting way forward if if uh, World War II you, went down with Russia and Germany as allies, yeah, the way you, it started. You probably won't um, have Russians admit that they had that deal with, uh, with the Germans, but it's, uh, but it's on paper. So, um, well, yeah, they were... Uh, crazy as it seemed, they were allies at the, at the point. Yeah, it's wild to, wild to go back and... And think of that. So one other interview I watched of you, I want to ask you about this before we go into the lightning round. You were talking about this fascinating thing to me in that 
you were talking about how you can sometimes get a new idea for a book and it can be a great idea. And you can string together a few sentences that can be beautiful sentences, as good as anyone in the world can write. And of course, the trick then is to do that for 300 pages. Mm. And you were comparing it to tennis in the way you could stroke a perfect forehand as good as anyone in the world can, can hit a forehand. And, and then, of course, the trick then is to do that for three sets of tennis. I was wondering if when you sit down to start a new book and you're looking at page one, and of course, you've been through the cycle of starting and completing a novel many times. But when you sit down to that first page, do you ever feel that pressure to reach that high gear, that high level? Mm. Again, are you ever nervous? Like, my gosh, am I ever going to be able to write these beautiful sentences again in the mm. way that Roger Federer might feel pressure on match point? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's uh, you, you can always edit. <laughs> <laughs> That's... That's a big difference, of course, and uh, and you can also decide not to publish it. Um, I actually did that with a, um, two novels that I I wrote, especially one big novel. How recent a, in your career since you've um, been a huge this bestseller? Is like yeah, uh, I'd say um, eight or ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was in the middle of the Harry Hole series. I I wrote a novel and it simply it didn't work. Um, and um, how far in were you when you? No, abandoned I, ship. I had a finished novel. I I sent it, it to the to my publishing house, and uh, my editor um, read it, and uh, she and um, some of her colleagues. We were at a meeting, and I knew that the novel didn't work. I just mm. wanted to um, have them confirm in what way it didn't work, and they they pointed to the points I sort of figured out they would um, want me to have a look at and I knew I couldn't change that that it um, so it was not salvageable no uh, and I knew that so I said that thank you so much uh, that's what I thought and I went back home and I pushed the uh, delete button um, fully in the garbage started yeah. fresh on something new I idea. did use I did use some of it um, um, in Another novel, uh, but the novel itself uh, it did was that rattle deleted. you in any way? Like, no, thought, no. Am I ever going to be able to find the magic again? Mm, no, um, it was a big relief. It was uh, that I was in a position that I didn't have to publish something I wasn't happy with, mm-hmm. and knowing that also takes away the pressure when I'm sitting down with a new novel. Now mm-hmm. I know that it's always an option not to publish it. Uh, but but then on the other hand, it's like when you sit down and you're going to write chapter one. I guess it's uh, writing a, a a novel. I mean, it's a it's a big thing. It's it's a heavy thing, and it's uh, in many ways. I guess I feel like a. I don't know how you feel when you're a pilot of a big airplane, and you're you look at the runway, and you you know you speed up, and you're thinking in the back of your head that. Is it going? Is it really going to take off, off <laughs> this time? Also, hopefully, you know, will the lo- laws of physics apply for 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 this occasion? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it will. And 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 that's sometimes how I feel with novel. Of course, that uh, um, I know that I, I have in the back of my head. I have this feeling that maybe it's going to to crash. But now I don't. I'm not that worried. You know, I'm. I know that it's not the end of the world to 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 push the delete button. Mm-hmm. And you have the confidence it will come. You'll start again and you'll, yeah. you'll get there. I mean, nine, nine out of ten times, it, uh, it'll, it'll work. Hmm. That's when, I, when my first book came out, my wife said to me, like, honey, you're, you know, you're a writer now. Yeah. And I was thinking, I don't know. I think I'm just a guy who published a book. I need to do this 
I need to feel that this is a repeatable process for me. Once I've done three, maybe then I can say I'm actually like, quote unquote, a writer. Right now, I think I just wrote something. Yeah, yeah, no, I I totally agree. I I remember when I wrote my second novel, I was in in Vietnam and I met uh, met an American guy and we... um, uh, we uh, we had a great time. We smoked together and we uh, we were hanging out. Uh, we didn't, you know, talk too much about what we were doing or what are you doing here? I'm a writer. I said, yeah, I, I'm a writer too. He said, yeah, yes. We didn't talk much about the writing, but then um, after a few days, I had a phone from my my publisher and they asked me some questions. And he asked me, uh, what was that? That was my publisher. And he looked at me and said, oh, so you're a published writer. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, yeah, and I guess, um, yeah. I'm, um, the other guy's the, just doing his diary or something. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it didn't take him long to call himself a writer. So, um, I, I, but I kind of admired that, that confidence. That, yeah. Yeah, I'm a writer. Well, and you know, there's probably a ton of great stuff that has never seen the, the light of day through a publisher. You know, there's hmm. a, lot of, a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, all right, so on to the lightning round. Your favorite book as a kid? Um... Tom Sawyer, Mark Twain. Great. Book or books reading now? Uh, right now, I'm actually writing about uh, Carl Jung, uh, biography about the, the, the great uh, psychiatrist. Oh, Carl Jung. Yeah. Yep. yeah. He and Freud, I think, were in Munich in like 1913. It was like mm. the last time they mm. saw each other and had that, yeah. that big split. Yeah. Best rock band frontman of all time. Well, this is not very original, but I think I will have to go with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Did you go to see his? He did something on Broadway. He had a, a one man show. Yeah, I saw it on uh, on Netflix or something. Okay. I, I I did actually try to get a ticket here, but it was uh, impossible. That was a yeah. sought after ticket for sure. Yeah, he's a yeah. he is such a great performer. I think he. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, maybe a little younger than you, but I grew up in the '80s, right. where he was just you know in his prime with the Born in the USA album and. Yeah, such a great performer, and still is so energetic up there, yeah. and it's it's amazing. Uh, best songwriter of all time, um, I say Paul McCartney. Um, again, I, I I wish I could come up with something more original or Was he uh, Hey Jude? He wrote that one, right? Um, he wrote all the good, uh, all the best Beatles <laughs> songs. Uh, John <laughs> Lennon also wrote uh, good songs, but not the best songs. Okay, yeah. All right, and this is one that's right up your alley. What are the top reasons that we should be visiting Oslo? Um, it's a beautiful city. It's a um, compact city. Um, you can live there and visit there without using a car. Just rent a bike. Go there in summer. Uh, rent a bike, and you can go to uh, from your hotel. You can go swimming um, in the. Um, you have beaches in the middle of the city, downtown. You can go swimming. Uh, you can go uh, into the woods. Um, yeah, it's just a... Um, What's and, the closest and, approximation for a U.S. city? Is it sort of like a Denver? I mean, a Denver is totally landlocked, um, but is it sort of mountainy climate? Uh, let or? me see um, uh, what to compare it to. Um, maybe uh, Portland? All right. So there's the, also Tourism Bureau yeah. should have you on, uh, okay. on some commercials <laughs> and payroll. Favorite few recent TV shows to recommend? Um, let me see. Uh, Atlanta. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen that. No. Uh, that's, that's, I'll write that down. Atlanta. Yeah. Atlanta. 
I think that's that's funny. Okay, it's a comedy. Uh, sort of. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you never know. There's plenty of comedy in <laughs> yeah. your serial killer uh, books as well. Um, least attended book event ever. Um, I think that must have been when I was in San Francisco on my first tour here. Uh, I came into this library, and it was when I entered. Uh, there were most mostly really old people, um, eighteen of them, and uh, half of them were asleep. So I, I just sort of <coughs> go like that, and then some of them woke up. Some of them slept through the whole uh, event, and uh, yeah, it was uh, eleven o'clock in the in the morning, and it was it was really strange. I it was like I didn't mind, but uh, it was a bit of, yeah, it was a a new experience to me. Well, you you've certainly paid back your publisher from that point because you feel a little bad. You've you know, you've traveled this way. The publisher is like putting you in a hotel, and two people show up. You sell a book, and it's like, my gosh, we spent all this money. I was, <laughs> I was more like, I get to. They send me to San Francisco. I get to stay in the hotel, and they feed me, and I'm. Um, I I draw an audience of eighteen, and still they will send me to the next city and pay for my hotel there. Also, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. This is not a business model. Yeah, no one's going to survive this. Last question: One piece of advice for listeners? Uh, advice in general: um, Keep your pleasures simple. Mm. I like that. Yeah, great, Joe. Thank you so much for coming in. It's great to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please download, rate, subscribe, write a comment. Let me know the authors you want to hear from. I read all the comments. Thank you. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.